time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Thrivology Podcast, the, the podcast designed to help you thrive no matter what life is throwing your way. And if you're right now watching anything in the world or living a life in this crazy time, you know that this is the time when life is throwing us lots of stuff. And that's kind of what I want to focus on today. How do you stay calm in the midst of the chaos? Now, understand that the chaos is nothing new to us. It's just that right now we're getting a very concentrated dosage of it. Lots of us live in the midst of chaos. In fact, I was talking uh, with a client, a former client of mine, who uh, had always been suffering from anxiety and basically said, you know what? I'm actually feeling pretty good right now because I realize I'm at the same place everybody else is. We're all dealing with this deep dive into anxiety caused by everything around us. Whether it's the pandemic or whether it's politics or whether it's family struggles or individual struggles or, you know, the struggles with staying just on course in the midst of this. Maybe you've had uh, financial struggles in, in this time, maybe relational struggles because, man, they have been buffeted by this. Uh, maybe you're just going through a tough time on top of everything else and you're watching the news and you're hearing all this stuff and you realize that this is just coming at us. I was recently reading some letters that were written back in about 999, right before the turn to the year 1000. And guess what they were talking about? All of the things that were happening that were looking at this, you know, the kind of the end of time. And this is kind of a, a cycle we get into. We can think that everything is different this time, right? This is the different thing. But I would just caution us to remember that it's been different every other crisis, and we keep moving forward. Now, are there substantial challenges in front of us? Yes. Can we ignore those challenges? No. But can we find a way of building in a little more peace in our lives so that we are more capable of dealing with those moments? See, here's the thing. A lot of people have been telling me how they feel like they're justified in this panic in the midst of everything, that everything going on, of course, they're justified in that. And let me be clear, whatever you're feeling is what you're feeling. I'm not saying you're not justified in feeling it as much as I'm asking, is it helpful for us to be in that state? Or would it be more helpful to find a bit more chaos or more calm in the midst of the chaos? For myself, I would love to find more moments of calm. And I find myself more and more challenged lately. And so part of what we're talking about today is a reminder of some things I've talked about before. And it's a reminder as much to myself as to you. So you can overhear me thinking to myself and processing for myself some reminders of how we might make it through this bit a little bit better. All the things around us that are going on, all those news and events just notice that they tend to be a bit more amplified now than before. I mean, let's face it, there have been some pretty big challenges to our world in the past. We just didn't know them on an instant basis. You know, even in the times of war, we didn't get the news instantly. And so it had a time to kind of distill before it hits us. Now it's almost instantaneous. 
my family and I have watched several different historic things about even events that were in my childhood or my teen years and how much more slowly the information crept out. Now it's, it is rapid fire. It's at the speed of electrons that we get the information, and that can be overwhelming. And part of what happens is that our bodies are designed for survival living. I mean, that's at a core level. Before you can ever thrive, you've got to survive. You know, if you can't make it to that level, you can't move up the chain to get to the places of thriving. And so right now, we're getting all these risk and danger signs thrown at us that put us into this place where we feel like we're kind of in a perpetual place of survival, which is not necessarily the case. Just a quick reminder how your brain is wired. There are basically three levels to your brain, the most primitive level of your brain, which starts at the base of your your brain, but also goes down in the, the vagal system that is looking for dangers and threats. That's the most basic level. And it doesn't even need to make sense for your body to experience that fear level. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know about that level of your brain, and they are that they take auditory and visual clues directly. The cues of that, the, the, when you hear something in front of you or around you or behind you, when you hear it, it goes straight to that part. When you see it, a flash, something that alerts you to something that's off, a shadow, something else, it's instantly sent to that part of the brain. And that part of the brain is not so much sitting there analyzing whether it makes sense to be afraid. It's making you afraid because that's how you survive. Now, that part of the brain is so primitive that it doesn't really understand whether you're watching a video or watching an experience, whether you're in the midst of a dangerous situation or whether you're watching a a movie or something else. I've recently been kind of intrigued with virtual reality and where we're going with that. And so I have a virtual reality system that lets me kind of experience that, both on the calming side where I can do some meditative stuff, but also on the fearful side. I mean, the games are set up and many times something around me will give me a startle reflex. Maybe the zombie or whatever it is sneaks up behind me and I get, I can feel my body, the hair stands up on my body because it feels like that's real. Now, my brain, the top part of my brain knows it's not real. But the core part of my brain, that basic level of brain, experiences it as real. We have that moment, and that's what we use in order to have a good time in lots of life. Like if you go to a scary movie, an exciting movie... There's a part of your brain that can always go, it's just a movie. But there's another part of you that can feel it and experience it in a way that is exciting. The same as riding a roller coaster or anything else. You're putting yourself in a situation that gets that part of the brain excited. You know, I was watching somebody and they were working on a ropes course. And they were uh, in a harness completely safe and still were having a hard time crossing over the tightrope. Why? Because the primitive part of their brain was not convinced that they were safe. So that part of our brain, that primitive part, is looking for what it assesses as being a threat. It keeps us in a survival mode. Now, surviving means let's get to tomorrow. Not let's have a great day today, let's have a good time today, but let's get to tomorrow. 
Thriving is how can I make purpose? How can I have an enjoyable day? How can I make sense of all of this? The survival mode doesn't care about the sense. It just wants to keep you safe. So all that's going on at a very core level. And when that happens, when that part of the brain sees something that it assumes is stressful, it sends hormones cursing through your body. They're coursing all over your system trying to get a response from you. That coursing hormone, basically adrenaline and cortisol, are what set you up in order to survive. And the problem is it's happening on a regular basis. So just for a minute, here are what adrenaline does to you. Adrenaline increases your heart rate and your breathing rate. When you find yourself in in a moment of fear, your heart naturally just speeds up. I can feel it in my own body. I can feel that extra hard beating of my heart, and I can realize that it's triggering me to breathe more often. So it increases our heart rate and our breathing rate because it's moving blood to our brain, our lungs, and our muscles to get us ready to deal with the threat. The cortisol does something interesting. It increases the blood sugar level. And the way it does it is by pulling from the glycogen reserves you have in your muscle and throughout your body. And it works to convert fat in your body to sugar. Now, here's the problem with that. If it's a crisis and you suddenly have a shot of adrenaline and cortisol, it's getting you ready to fight. But what happens when it's chronic? What happens when that situation never goes away? You're watching the news and all day long it's telling you the same horror stories and all the scary things are going on and you're reading the articles and you're going through your social media and you're seeing the same things over and over and it's become chronic. Well, then the adrenaline is still coursing through your body. just doesn't have anywhere to go. The muscles aren't using that. The cortisol is also coursing through your body and is continually keeping your blood sugar level at a higher level which is triggering our bodies to do some interesting things. Because while adrenaline is increasing our heart rate and therefore our blood flowing through our body and our blood pressure and all the other things to get ready for that, one of the things it's doing is it's wearing itself out, right? It's just continually loading in and it's bothering some other systems. For instance, While it's turning on that, it turns off your digestive system because it needs the blood to go to your brain and to the muscles, not to your gut. So digestion can be an issue when the cortisol is flowing and the adrenaline is flowing through your system. It also disrupts your sleep because you don't need to sleep if there's a risk around. So it keeps you pumped up and amped up and thrown off your sleeping. And it also throws off the reproductive system which is why many times when people are stressed out, it's harder for them to figure out how to uh, be in a better place to be eating well, sleeping well, and reproducing well. All of those pieces are put into a decreased level because we are in fight flight. And by the way, fight flight, you've probably heard of before. There's actually a third one. It's fight flight or freeze. Usually the freeze thing comes after we decide we can't flee We can't fight, and the only thing we can do is do nothing, right? Just kind of hunker down. I believe that there's actually a fourth one, which is flail, which is just we try to do anything, and that that comes about uh, trying to deal with these threats around us. So our body has a stimulation of some sort that tells us there's a threat, 
And we automatically go into fight, flight, freeze, flail mode to deal with the threat. But when it's not there, when the threat is not actually in front of us, where does it go? If you're watching the news, who are you going to fight? Where are you going to flee? We might freeze and therefore keep watching the news over and over again. And we might even flail a little bit trying to figure out what we could do about it all. But we get stuck. The active phase of fight flight is different than the freeze, which is very much a passive response. And it keeps us stuck and kind of stewing in that process. So that's what happens when it's a crisis situation versus a chronic situation. So what's the difference? The crisis means there's actually something there. You're driving down the road and suddenly the traffic is stopped in front of you. It is a crisis. Your body needs to go, time to stop. I've got to hit the brakes. That's a crisis situation. But what happens when it's just repeatedly in front of us or us thinking about it? And that's the root of chronic. Chronic is much more lodged in our thoughts. So maybe it's a long-term situation that's going on, but mostly it's triggered by the thinking that is triggering our deeper parts of our brain to think that there is a threat right in front of us. In the chronic, what we know is that it sensitizes us and therefore we move to a higher level of passivity. And guess what passivity is linked to? Anxiety, right? When you're anxious, it just kind of flows through your system that's not necessarily attached to anything in particular. You just feel this anxious place. Which brings us to the fact that you have two systems in your body the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is what goes into fight-flight mode. Parasympathetic does the opposite. It's the calming part. The interesting thing is both of those are constantly switched on and off in your system. If you take a big deep breath in, the in-breath triggers your sympathetic system. And you can feel your body kind of tense when you do that. When you tense, you big breath in, you'll feel your body just kind of go with energy and you get a little bit of adrenaline into your system. But now if you go big breath out, like a sigh or just a big ha, you suddenly are triggering your parasympathetic, which is calming. What you'll notice is that many of the ways of breathing for calmness rely on the fact that our out-breath is longer than our in-breath. So we're bringing a bit of tonality to the vagal system, the polyvagal nerve that you have in your system, which is the sympathetic, parasympathetic. When we have a big breath in, the sympathetic triggered. Big breath out, parasympathetic triggered. And it can go back and forth between that. Which brings us to some ways that we can cope With this, the chronic chaos that's around us right now, how do we cope? So I want to divide it into two places of coping. One is the physical coping. What do you do physically to cope with this? And the other is more in how we do an environmental shift. So I've already named one of the ways we cope with these times, and that is breathing. Breathing, when we do it correctly helps to calm our vagal system. 
what happens when we feel a threat is that we begin to restrict our breathing to our chest, which kind of makes sense, right? And your chest, you already have a rib cage, so it's already protecting your organs because you have that protection. Below that in your diaphragm, which is meant for breathing, it's surrounding your organs that are a little more at risk. And so when we feel like we're at threat, we begin to breathe much more shallowly in our chest with a tension in our stomach muscles because the tension, the stomach muscles being tight, begin to protect those organs. So we can on automatic be breathing through our chest very, uh, very shallowly and ignoring our diaphragm, or we can make a shift. And we can decide to take the unconscious process of breathing and make it conscious and take a big breath into our belly. So one of the things you can practice now is just put a hand on your belly button and take a big breath so that your hand on your belly button is the one that expands. You can feel your diaphragm expanding. That big, deep breath begins to allow us to bring in some more oxygen into our system. But more than that, it tells our brain things are okay. There's not a threat. Now, you can do this even when you're feeling fearful. You know, if you're somewhere at a doctor's appointment or in the dentist chair, it's a good place to practice that just to be breathing. I had a medical test a while back, and uh, because of the people in front of me having some bigger issues than me, I was left there in a fairly cold room in the uh, preparation area for a good while. And I realized that I was breathing pretty shallowly in my chest. And so I just made a conscious shift and began to breathe through my diaphragm. And I did one other thing that also helps with the tonality in your vagal system. I hummed. You don't have to hum anything in particular. You can hum a song. You can even hum just a long mmm. And that mmm from a deep place also brings a more tonality to your vagal system. Hum a song if you liked. Hum one low tone if you like. But that's another way to add it on. And here's the added benefit. It automatically elongates your exhale. So when you're breathing in and then humming out, you don't even have to worry much about thinking about the timing. It will naturally add some time to your exhale, and it calms your vagal system. So one thing to do is practice your breathing when you're feeling the chaos. The second thing is to move. It's one of the things I've noticed uh, lots of people uh, have been telling me that one of the things they've given up in the midst of this pandemic is exercise. And yet, that's one of our coping strategies for our body to process all of that adrenaline. When we're moving around, it's actually allowing the muscles that are loaded up, ready to go with something to do. So it kind of burns it off. Otherwise, it's kind of like sticking too much gasoline into an engine, right? And I'm wondering why it's burning so richly and, and has such an awful smell. It's because there's too much fuel going in for what it's needed to do. So even moving around by walking will help wear that off a little bit. Weightlifting is great. And active exercise, anything that will help just kind of burn that through is very important during these times to lower your stress level. Another one is to think about how to um, watch your diet, because one of the things I've also, also noticed during this time is that people are beginning to rely on kind of a, an external way of monitoring this, of dealing with this. 
So I noticed a lot of people eating more sugar, a lot of people eating, uh, drinking more caffeine, uh, taking in more alcohol, and lots of other things that have a different response in the body. One of the things to remember is there is always an equal and opposite reaction when we bring in an external substance to our body. For instance, if you have a very sugary meal, you'll feel the energy followed by the crash. The higher the energy level, the lower the crash that's caused by that external stimulant. Same with caffeine. If you're using a lot of caffeine, you will experience the crash. And so we have to kind of watch for how we do that in our body. How do we bring in some things that don't burn so much stimulation into our system? So less carbohydrates, less simple carbohydrates, and less stimulants also help us in the midst of all of this to not be amping up our system. The interesting thing is if you look at our comfort foods that people name, they generally are very high in simple carbohydrates. And so in the time when we're looking for comfort, we're actually loading up on sugar. Okay, so some three very simple strategies for dealing with this on a physical level, breathing, moving, and watching your diet. But how do you deal with this from an environmental level? How do you cope with this? I want you to notice a couple of things that we do. Right now, we're bombarded with media, and it's coming at us in so many directions. There's so many uh, news channels or info news channels around that we can be watching and exposed to news or at least interpretations of the news 24 hours a day, seven days a week if we choose. Plus, at the same time, that's on. We could choose to be watching it on multiple devices that are in our pocket or at our sides, which means that we're constantly exposed to that. And what we know is that our fear system is hijacked for lots of external reasons to us. It's what political parties use in order to get us to go their way. Fear is a, positive, is a powerful motivator, at least short term. Advertisers do the same. More than that, media companies like TV and other media companies need our eyeballs to get the dollars from the advertisers. And what better way to do that than to spark a little fear? So we need to be mindful of how we're taking in media, how we're exposing ourselves to media. I quit watching uh, live news uh, years and years ago. I went on a diet uh, or a media diet long ago. Uh, Dr. Andrew Weil had recommended that, and I tried it out, and it made sense to never go back to watching the news. I had several conversations with other people in my life who believe that if you're not watching the news, you're not prepared for life. And my response was, what is it doing in reality? How are you preparing because of watching the news? And most people think they just want to be well-informed. My response was, news is not necessarily informing you well. They're leading with stories meant to make you fearful, not to expose you to what's going on in the world. So one of the things I'd uh, suggest is limiting how much news you're exposed to. First of all, because that's a primary piece of this feeling the chaos in these times. And more than that, limit it when it is a visual way of experiencing it. Videos in particular, because they are directly linked to that primitive part of the brain. That's why so many groups are using so many videos to get their message out. It hijacks or it fearjacks your brain. 
and it's making you think that the threat is much bigger than it generally is. The second thing that I would suggest is that you limit your media. After watching a couple of documentaries, I no longer go on the Facebook to look at my Facebook feed. I do go on because of some business interest and other things that I need to keep an eye on. I do go on and check to see if there are any notifications that I need to know about. And then I shut down Facebook. I've also eliminated all the notifications from social media because they're trying to draw us in. That is their need to have our eyeballs on them for their advertising dollars. And then there's one last thing that I try to follow as much as I can. And when I am in social media is to not interact with people when I oppose their viewpoint. Because what happens in social media, you post something because you truly believe it to be true and you're not going to be dismissed by that when somebody challenges it. In fact, what ends up happening when we get into these social media discussions, and I'll put that in quotes, arguments, more often than not, each person leaves more resolved of the viewpoint they had, not having shifted their views at all. They become more resolved because they defend their viewpoint. And whenever we defend our viewpoint, we entrench ourselves even more deeply. So you're not changing anybody's mind, but you continue to bring in. I mean, think about how many times you might have posted something, and I'd say it for myself. I post something on social media, have a discussion with someone on social media, and I can feel the, that fight-flight response kick in. I could feel the adrenaline kick into my system. For what? We're not going to solve it in the posts. We're not going to change our minds in the posts. And so we are needlessly driving the fight-flight survival response within us with no hopes of resolving it. So part of the calm and the chaos is realizing that the chaos is out there. There are some things going on. There are some places where you want to be thinking about where you want the world to be for sure. I don't think that we need to enter the monastery or hide in the woods or go to the mountaintop and avoid life. We do need to deal with these things. The question is how much we're adding on by pumping up our thoughts by digesting media on a regular basis, by entering into debates that will not shift anyone. So the question is, what is in our control? The chaos is out there. The calm is where we choose. The calm is where we dig in and find our place of calm. Hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, If you're interested more about my books, uh, check out my books on thriving by going to thriveology.com slash books. Thriveology spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y dot com, then forward slash books. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.